Welcome back to another new episode of Now Hear This Entertainment, featuring interviews with guests who are having success in entertainment. I am Bruce Wozniak, talking to guests who are singers, songwriters, musicians, recording artists, and more from the worldwide music community. Do please stay connected. You can write to podcast at nhte.net, or instead of email, you are welcome to DM me through the at Now Hear This Entertainment Instagram account. Anything and everything to do with this podcast or the entertainment industry itself, I look forward to hearing from you. Joining me today on location in the greater Los Angeles area, my guest has been called one of the top 10 guitar players in the world by Guitar Magazine. In his 50-plus years of playing the instrument, he has created a wildly successful, multifaceted career. He is a critically acclaimed musician, vocalist, songwriter, arranger, producer, and educator with 15 albums and two live DVDs released worldwide. He is commonly regarded as a guitar virtuoso capable of playing any style of music with remarkable mastery and conviction. He has been one of LA's elite first call session players for the past 38 years, playing on hundreds of records, movie soundtracks, and television shows. He became a member of the British rock group Supertramp in 1985, and he has played to millions of enthusiastic fans in sold-out arenas worldwide. You've been hearing a song of his called Keningi. Welcome to Now Hear This Entertainment, Carl Verheyen. Thanks, Bruce. Good to be here at my house. <laughs> at an undisclosed location. <laughs> at an undisclosed location, right. Well, thanks ever so much for making time to sit and talk with me today. There's certainly going to be lots and lots for us to talk about today. But before we get too far away from it, let's first have you share with the audience all about the song of yours that was just playing called Keningi. Yeah, the, the title comes from, um, I have this Joel Gilberto album, and he sings very frog-like, you know. He's, uh, and at some point, it's in Portuguese, he sings what it sounds like. It sounds like he says... Kaningi. And I always thought that was cool. So we started calling our fingers our Kaningis. My Kaningis are cold. And uh, <laughs> then I found out, I think it's the name of an African language, wow. little known African language, Kaningi. I found out from somebody. I don't know if that's true or not. But um, I wrote the song based on a little drum groove that I found. And uh, believe it or not, it was in my phone. This drum groove was this Afro-pop groove. Wow. And I, I like to just jam along with drums just as a practice routine. And I just started playing that melody. And uh, it's a lot of fun to play live. The, the record has two drummers on it to kind of get that African pop thing, you know. Uh, Chad Wackerman, who's world famous, played with everybody from... Uh, James Taylor to Men at Work to Barbara Streisand to Frank Zappa and Alan Holsworth. And then the other guy is John Ferraro, who played with everybody from Larry Carlton and George Benson and mm. uh, even Barry Manilow. So these guys wow. are really heavy cats that have been my friends for a lot of years. But I'm interested when you say that you found the drum track in your phone, because as a guitarist, certainly when a songwriter has a song idea, they'll sing a little melody in their phone mm -hmm. or speak some lyric ideas so how did you happen to have a drum track? Well, there's a there's a program I found in my phone called Drum Beats. <laughs> okay. okay. And uh, yeah, Drum Beats. And it's just got these various drum grooves, you know, Nashville, Shuffle, and, uh, you know, Country Pop. And it'll name things like uh, Texas 
um, top, which is like ZZ Top Groove, you know, that kind of thing. So I found something called Afro Pop, and I turned it up to 165 beats per minute and just started playing along with it, and boom. That's so cool. It came out. Wow, wow, I like that. In 1985, you were a session guitarist in Los Angeles, and next thing you know, you're playing for none other than Super Tramp. So share with us all about how that transpired. Well, I, I went to do a session that morning for uh, this particular morning for a female vocalist. Don't even remember her name, and I'd never been to that studio. So, the engineer was a British guy, and we got along great. You know, he liked my sounds, and I liked him, and we exchanged numbers. And um, didn't think much of it, but that night, around nine thirty at night, I get a call from uh, Supertramp's front of house engineer, mixer engineer named Norman Hall. But he said, Hello, Carl, this is Norman Hall. <laughs> and uh, he, he said they're auditioning. They've heard 18 guys. Would I like to come down and audition tomorrow mm. morning? Wow. At, at 10, you know. I said, sure. You know, and I really wasn't a fan. As a matter of fact, I, I didn't like some of the music so much. I, I wasn't a big fan of Roger's voice, but I am now. <laughs> I really got to love it later. But uh, so I went down there and I had to. The first thing I did was apologize. I said, Guys, I got the call late last night. I didn't have any time to learn any of your songs. And they said, We don't want to play any of our bloody music. Let's play the blues. So we played the blues. They nice. recorded it. And I got a call that night saying I'd, got, I'd gotten it. Wow. And, wow. Uh, but what was kind of interesting was I shouldn't say his name, I'll just tell you. As I was walking in to do the the audition, one of my favorite guitar heroes was walking out. I go, oh, what am I wasting my time for? He's going to get it. He's a famous guy. So I won't tell you his name yeah, because he didn't yeah. get it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, there's a lot of stories around like that, that that I've been privileged to hear, and it never gets old. It's so cool mm-hmm. to hear a lot of these scenarios where they're somewhat non-traditional i mean like you say it's a studio you've never been to before you can't remember the vocalist name it's nine o'clock that night oh by the way it's the next morning it's like mm-hmm. everything yeah. seems like it's working against you you're saying you know ah, i wasn't the biggest fan really didn't know their songs mm-hmm. and lo and behold you get yeah, the gig you get the gig and then we had a, a meeting with the band where they sort of the leader of the band sort of assigned parts and he gave me certain vocals to sing. He gave me, you're going to play this solo here. You're going to do that. you got to play this. And I wrote everything down, including uh, I brought some staff paper because I can read music. So I wrote down the notes I was supposed to sing. You know, sing this part here and sing this part here, starting on that note. And I went home and I really, really learned it. I learned it cold. I could have done the show a week later. Mm. And then... We had two weeks of rehearsals at A&M Records on the soundstage where they filmed Soul Train. Hmm. And that was fun because the Soul Train people were there um, having lunch outside and everything. Anyway, long story short, after two weeks, I really know it. And I know it so well that I was telling the bass player, no, 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 that's supposed to be an F sharp. You shouldn't play that <laughs> F natural. Then we went to one month of rehearsals at this giant soundstage called Zoetrope. Matter of fact, you could park your car in there. You know, you could drive in. Mm. These were the sound and lights, you know, production mm. rehearsals, and there's films and all that stuff. And I've got like another month of six days a week. I got this so down, and it was sort of tedious because we just, we knew it. Yeah. But you're doing it for the lighting crew, and you're doing it for that. Anyway, then we went to St. John's, Newfoundland. We flew up there. That's the farthest eastern point of the continent. 
And we rehearsed another three days in this wow. hockey stadium. Wow. Then the first night, the, they had a giant, huge curtain thing. You know, the stages are like 60 by 40, right? Huge curtain opens, and it's my job to play the first kind of a power chord, right? So one, two, three, four, but I'd never seen 25,000 people <laughs> in one place before, you know, that from this vantage point, I'm used to playing in clubs that had, you know, 60 people was a big night, you know. What was the biggest crowd you had played in front of to that point? Maybe, you know, a couple hundred, I don't know. Okay. But, you know, just because uh, I was like 29 or something. Um, and I was playing a lot of jazz in my 20s, you know, as a jazz guy. So little jazz clubs. So I froze. I didn't know what to do. And then he counted it off again, and I went, okay, got it. Boom. Wow. Yeah, that's supposed to be me. And uh, from then on, it was fine. I remembered everything. But that, that first second there was like a shock. So, so that one doesn't count. I mean, that was a wonderful story, but, but we're going we're gonna to start now in terms of, so then going forward, all the shows that you did, all the traveling that you did with Supertramp, is there a story or two that just all these years later just really stands out to you for whatever reason that, that you can share with us? Hmm. There's dozens. Uh, yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> um, I do remember uh, in that very first, no, the second tour we did, we were over in Europe and we were in San Sebastian, Spain. And you know how in Spain they eat dinner at around 11 or 12 and then go to a disco, right? So I was getting pretty tired around two in the morning and I went to, I just told the keyboard player buddy, I said, you know, I'm going to head back to the hotel. And we were in a hotel that was the entire top floor. We had the whole top floor to ourselves. So we go up and it's in front of this beautiful bay, um, circular um, inlet harbor. So we go up there at the elevator and I'm walking the keyboard player to down to the end of the hall where his room was just because we're still talking. We passed my room. And there was a giant, huge, like nine-foot statue of Pan, you know, the flute guy with a fig leaf down mm. here. Mm-hmm. And just as a goof, I put my hand on the fig leaf, and the thing moved. And I go, wow, this thing what? is not tied down. Let's put it in Scott's bed. Because <laughs> I wasn't a member yet. I was a hired guy, uh. um, sideman. And I didn't become a member till like, 95 or 96. Uh, but we took this gigantic statue down, carried it, it was heavy, carried it down and opened my door. And I had noticed earlier that I had a way to get into his room, but he couldn't get into my room. Mm. (laughs) So we like backed the feet into the bathroom and opened the door and then put it in his bed. We took the covers down and put this thing in his bed with the giant feet sticking out and his head's on the pillow with a flute. Wow. And then he came back after just raving at about (laughs) 3 or 4 in the morning, and, oh, man, he couldn't move it. So uh, I peeked in there the next morning. He's on the floor with the covers (laughs) and his pillow. So the next day he goes, I'm going to get you. It might be today. It might be next week. It could be a year from now. It could be 30 years from now, but I'm going to get you. And uh, I actually saw him the other day. His name is Scott Page. I was just going to say there could be, wait a minute, Scott Page. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was gonna say there could be a knock on the door right now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> wow, wow. So, yes, yeah, I, I actually played with Scott about um, about three weeks ago for like a Ukraine benefit thing or something here in town. Scott so. Page has been on this show. I have, has he really? I have had yeah. the pleasure of interviewing yeah. Scott. In fact, we saw each other, uh, gosh, a couple of years ago at the NAM show. So you know, he and I had 
done our interview remotely, and then it was great to mm-hmm. you know see each other face to face. And he's a piece of work, I'll tell you. He's a fun guy. Yeah, I know, I love him. Guy. Wow, that's that's so, fun that that's who the story yeah, was about. The, yeah, I, I put the. Uh, a giant statue in his bed. <laughs> so I think he's the brunt of a lot of practical jokes. <laughs> so. There's so much more cool stuff with Carl on the way, and I appreciate his having taken time to sit with me for this interview. And I also am really grateful to Focus Right for again sponsoring another episode of Now Hear This Entertainment. Last week, I talked about their Scarlet Audio Interface which tons and tons and tons of musicians use, and that that's what I had been using up until they sent me their brand new Vocaster, which is an audio interface designed exclusively for podcasters. And I mean all podcasters, whether you're just starting into podcasting or have been for eight and a half years like me or somewhere in between. Not only will you love its ease of use and the tremendous sound quality it will help you put out, But on top of the features I mentioned on episodes 440 and 439 that the Vocaster has, the included software is very focused to podcasters, giving them Hindenburg, Squadcast, and Acast for editing, recording remote interviews, and hosting slash monetization, respectively. As you can tell, Focusrite has packed a lot into serving podcasters with the new Vocaster, Find out more about it. Go to my show website, nhte.net, and tap or click on the Vocaster ad. It's in the right-hand column if you're on desktop or on mobile. Scroll way down to see it just below the social media icons. Get the newest audio interface specifically for podcasters just released in June, exactly like the one I have, the Vocaster from Focusrite. Well, it has become a recurring theme on this show as well as in my weekly blog about that we are in a new economy. But back in 1986, there you were in Supertramp, and for most that would be enough, but instead you decided to start your own band. Mm-hmm. What inspired you to do that? Well, when you think about um, the when you think about your career, you know, I've always thought of myself as having three careers. One is you know a member of Supertramp where the musical vision of the leader of the band is something that I need to follow, contribute to, and make as good as I can, right? It's an English tradition, uh, a little bit of prog, a little bit of pop, and even there's sort of this sort of English dance hall music going on with like, you know, Breakfast, that song, Take a Look at My Girlfriend, that song, you know. So it, it's something that um, is... I really respect and enjoy, but it's it's not the way I want music to sound all the time, right? So it's a beautiful catalog. So another one of my careers is studio musician, and that you're always following the musical vision of the composer or the mm. producer or the solo artist, whoever it is. So your job is to make that guy sound better, and that's really fun. But in a way, the the mentality I go in with is the well-listened craftsman. By that, I mean, you're kind of like a plumber in that the plumber comes in, looks under your sink and goes, well, I could probably use a quarter inch and an elbow and a street L and a thing and a, a valve. And, you know, I go, hmm, you want the, you want, you want it to sound like ZZ Top. Okay, that's Billy Gibbons. He plays a Les Paul through a little champ amp kind of a thing. He's got the Texas shuffle, which is different than the Chicago shuffle. I'm a big fan. Boom, I can do that. Mm-hmm. And that's creative, mm-hmm. but it's still not the peak of creativity, which is just writing and playing your own music. And yeah. there's nothing, I think, nothing more rewarding than that. 
Well, and because you had just finished saying that technically back then you were a hired gun and you didn't become a full-fledged member of Supertramp till 95, mm-hmm. after I'm asking you the question, I'm thinking that you're also saying, you know, look, I've got to make sure that my mm-hmm. bread is being buttered. And as much as I was thrilled mm-hmm. to be a hired gun for Supertramp until it became a real thing, mm-hmm. I yeah. did have to... But it was more than that. It was more that um, from the time I was a kid, I thought I'm going to be um, a touring recording musician and everything else has just been this giant detour i wouldn't Mm. change a thing i learned so much by playing in the studio for all these great composers and playing on people's records and uh and um you know film composers and everything i just learned so much about music and and playing and skills that i would never would have gotten had i been like a singer songwriter guy or Mm -hmm. anything so um so it was more that uh, studio work is one thing, Supertramp is one thing, but the ultimate goal and where I finally ended up after all these years is making my living as a solo artist, you know. However, I did a recording session yesterday, a movie date. <laughs> so I still do a little of that. And so. in fact, the Carl Verheyen Band is a virtual who's who of musical talent. One early member was former Supertramp and Crowded House member Mark Hart. Mm-hmm. In addition, names like Greg Bissonette, Joe Bonamassa, the list goes on. Carl, I think what you've done over the years is a strong testament to how important it is in the music business to not only connect, but then collaborate mm-hmm. with other musicians. Yeah, the more people you can bring into your music, and uh, I mean, we've toured as a trio for many years. I just added a guy named Troy Dexter who plays and sings and plays guitar, too. He's keyboards, guitar, and vocals. And it just opens up the amount of stuff I can do. There's actually, I have 16 albums out now, and uh, there's been a lot of it that it just couldn't be performed with three people, Mm. you know. So now it's more open that way. But yeah, it's cool. I did a record called Trading Eights with all kinds of guys like Steve Morris and Joe Bonamassa and Albert Lee and Rick Vito and... um, Scott Henderson, all kinds of friends of mine, and you know Robin Ford played on it. So, but follow up on what you were just saying. Some records that there's songs that you because I make no mistake about the fact that my all-time favorite band is Rush, mm-hmm. and so Rush would say in their early years they mm-hmm. would create these songs that it's mm-hmm. like well it's pretty tough to recreate some of these live, and later they kind of became more conscious of that. So where do you come down on that in terms of? gee, I do have to promote my music, have people buy it, but mm-hmm. gosh, I've got some songs that I can't really do it live. So. Yeah, I, I come down on it like you got to make the record for all time. So if you need to build this track up with a B3 organ and a piano and uh, you know four acoustic parts and two, three electric parts and a mandolin part, you really can't do that live, but... In 20 years, I'll be able to listen to it and go, mm-hmm. you know, I took that all the way, and it's really good. You know, I still love it. Yeah. And that, that you, have to, you have to think of the record not as just something, you know, even Rick Davies from Supertramp always said, it's too bad the record is a demo for the tour, because mm-hmm. the songs always get better when you take them out on the road. They get better, the parts become more honed, and... You're not just making them up and playing them right on the spot like we do in the studio. Yeah, You're actually playing them night after night. And boy, if I change this to a D natural, that one might be a little heavier, you know, or whatever. Yeah, yeah, so. I like that. Wow, wow. And by the way, folks, I mentioned the band Crowded House in there way back on episode 104 of the show. My guest was their drummer, Matt Sherrod. I will put a link to that interview on the show page for this episode 
at nhte.net. So thank you for the correction. I had said in the introduction that you have 15. It's 16 albums. Well, I've, I've got them on the wall right here, so I just, my ego, my ego shelf, but, and but I they're, just counted so they're them. All, they're all the Carl Verheyen band? Yeah, there's, there's two that are just solo acoustic, one called uh, Solo Guitar Improvisations and one called Alone Solo Guitar Improvisations Volume 2. But yeah, they're all, my, they're all mine. These, you can't see folks at home, but <laughs> all these records... Those are records of people I've played on. Wow. And there's some bunch of vinyl too and there's wow. there's more that you know they never gave me a copy. <laughs> <laughs> so the Carl Verheyen band, all these CDs that we're looking at here, mm-hmm. we talked about 1986 is when you said I'm going to start my own. So mm-hmm. this was not like I started it in 86 and then I got busy with Supertramp. Like you can't do 16 albums in this many years and say I went away from the Carl Verheyen band for you you obviously kept it going yeah. yeah there was a little gap between 86 and when the next one came out, came out around 93 or so but then 97 99 2001 2003 you know I just kind of kept it going every couple of years and in August I'm going to start a new one you know I just find that uh if if you've got if you got music in you, the other thing, it's got to come out. But the other thing is, I stopped being on record labels around 2010. Mm-hmm. And at that point, I started to recoup all my money. Mm. And they became little annuities that keep going. Whether it's physical sales or downloads or you know getting them into a movie soundtrack or whatever else. You know, it, it became part of my income that was significant, so... It's good to keep creating music. But so all those years, all these different CDs, has there been a core Carl Verheyen band, or is this kind of more of a, a Carl Verheyen and an all-star mm-hmm. players you know, over the years, and, and it really varies from one CD to the next? Well, the bass player started with Dave Murata, and then he had some years where he was just too busy here in the studios. So I got Cliff Hugo from Supertramp. And he had some great years, and then Dave came back. Um, it's drummers that are always an issue because a good drummer is in so much demand. It started with John Ferraro. Greg Bissonette played on some of the records. It went to Steve DeStanislo for a while, and that guy plays with David Gilmore mm. now. And he was with Crosby, Stills, and Nash, um, Loggins, and Messina. He's just done a lot of big gigs. Joe Walsh. And then... After him, it became Walfredo Reyes, and he's the guy that plays in Chicago now. Ah. But Wally, has, that guy, has done so many. He was in traffic, you know, and mm. worked with Winwood and um, David Lindley. I mean, I can't even begin to think of all the... But he's been in Chicago since for about the last 10 years. So then uh, I found this drummer through the bass player Stu Ham. He did my band for a little while. And Stu said, there's a guy in Oakland named John Mater, and uh, he's really great. So I actually auditioned him. I sent him five songs, said, learn them, drive to L.A. And the first song I called, it was one I hadn't sent him. I didn't know. I thought, I thought I sent you this tune. No, I don't. I said, well, just play along. He nailed it, and he played exactly what I would love wow. to hear. You know, he, was, wow. he killed it. I said, forget it. Then we came back to my house before he was going to drive home. I said, you can spend the night. You know, he was a really good guy. And we were talking about Sly and the Family Stone. And he had played in the Family Stone 
long after Sly had flamed out, but it was still, hmm. they were going. He had been in that band, and I go, my favorite song on Fresh, the album Fresh, is Sly Stone's version of K Sarah Sarah. And he goes, oh my God, that is a... And we just immediately bonded, and my wife had never heard it. I said, just listen to this. It is so insane, because wow. it's a Doris Day tune, right? And Sly Stone does it like so, so gnarly. It's, it's great. That's it, cool. Sister Rose sings it. Yeah, you got to hear it. Kesarasara by the fam- Sly and the Family Stone. I'm going to look it up. And there's all kinds of audience. You know that I have this bizarre mental Rolodex of past guests from the show. So as Carl is talking, I'm thinking about Bill Champlin, who spent 28 years in Chicago. He was on the mm-hmm. show. Yeah. Uh, both Joe Vitale and Chad Cromwell, who have both drummed with Joe Walsh, mm-hmm. they've been on the show as great. well. Great, yeah. I am joined today on location in the greater Los Angeles area by guitarist, musician, arranger, producer, and educator Carl Verheyen. Visit his official website at carlverheyen.com. I will put a link to it on the show page for this episode at nhte.net. When you are on Carl's website, you will see icons to connect with him on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. There are also icons to watch his videos on YouTube and to listen to his music on SoundCloud, which is one of the many platforms that this show is available on. Mm. While you can stream Carl's music on Spotify, show him your support by purchasing his music by clicking on the Store tab on his website. You will also see on there how to become a part of the CV Academy, which we will be talking about in just a moment. Are you receiving the weekly e-newsletter? It has information about the latest podcast episode and other notable goings-on. Plus, there are oftentimes exclusives in there that only people who get that are seeing first. Just go to the podcast website, nhte.net, and put in your email address. And yes, you really will only get an email from Bruce each Wednesday. That's it. No spam. Sign up now for free and stay up with everything going on with the show and more. It's fast and easy at nhte.net. Carl, you have a number of music credits in film and on TV, including Ratatouille, The Usual Suspects. Film and TV placement is so highly sought out by songwriters and by artists these days. Is sync something that you have sought out, or do they come to you? So Ratatouille, I was a a soloist in a 105-piece orchestra, um, and so basically I played on the soundtrack. They didn't use my music, but the usual suspects, they grabbed one of my songs. And... um, no, they they sought me out, and really, you bring up a a good point. If I was so busy, I'd try to seek out more more placements because they really it is a wonderful way to uh, generate income from your songwriting and uh, BMI or ASCAP, you know. So uh, I, I I should probably work on that more. And um, I know I know friends that even have people working that angle for them, you know. So maybe I should do that, but. All the song placements I've gotten in in movies and TV have been uh, they've come to me. So those are I, hard I to should take. Get, should get more proactive <laughs> about it. Thank you. <laughs> you were a soloist on the Academy Awards in 2009. You also were heavily featured in the documentary film about the electric guitar called Turn It Up. These are just two more examples of the many great opportunities that you've gotten throughout your career. As established as you are, do occasions like those present any new challenges and or offer a chance for you to learn something new? Or is it just 
fortunately, Bruce is just all muscle memory, <laughs> and I'm just grateful to get those kind of things. Well, is that, but uh, with the Academy Awards, uh, I was playing in the orchestra, right, on stage there. And at some point, somebody came up to me on Saturday night's rehearsal saying, can you learn a solo acoustic version of Moon River by tomorrow? Uh, for, because it ta- the show tapes tomorrow. And they said, we would like you to play uh, down on the stage with your, you know, like literally on the f- at the foot of the stage and while they're talking about music in the movies. Mm. So I said, well... Sure. So I got home around midnight and learned it, learned how to play Moon River, made a nice little arrangement. Then we had to be back at there. So I go to bed at two in the morning and I had a cold. Mm -hmm. We got back there. You had to be there on stage at eight the next morning for the first run through. And then maybe there was another run through. Then they tape it. Right. And for the run throughs, you know, I walked down to the foot of the stage, sat on the edge of the stage, which was only... I think it's the Kodak three feet or something. It's only like three feet high. So I could see that all the chairs there had the the stars' names mm. that were going to be. And so Meryl Streep was going to be directly in front of me, like I could touch her feet, touch her toes. And then uh, Penelope Cruz, I remember her her name and all these. And uh, yeah, and some male actors like Tom Cruise, I think, was there. Anyway, when it came time in the show to go down there, you know, now we're actually f- doing it live. This stagehand comes up to me with a clipboard and goes, okay, Mr. Verheyen, you're up during this commercial break. You've got to get settled and get plugged in. And by the way, besides the 3,000 people here in the theater watching, there's 67,000 more on TV, so don't screw up. 67 million. 67 million, yeah, yeah 67 yeah. million, exactly. Wow. So I go down there. Did he really say that? Yeah. He oh just my tried gosh. to mess with me. Oh, my gosh. So I go down there and plugged in my little acoustic rig. Did and, you grab uh, his badge? <laughs> yeah. I'm going to talk to your supervisor after this. Yeah. <laughs> That's uncalled yeah. for. <laughs> so that's exactly what he said to me. So I go down there, and all the stars are standing up and milling around. So that's when Meryl Streep said, hey, what are you going to do? I said, I'm going to play Moon River. And she goes, don't screw up. <laughs> so, boy, the pressure is on. So, anyway, Tough room. I had told my mom and dad, you got to watch the awards tonight. I mean, they did anyway. Yeah. Because I'm going to be on. My dad said I was on for about four seconds, you know, but uh, it was a really good payday. <laughs> but I'm curious because you had said earlier on that at the time of the Super Tramp gig, you were really playing more jazz. Mm-hmm. And so now... We don't need to get into the whole long, it depends on what kind of guitar someone's trained in, whether they're class, et cetera. But I wonder, was it a little bit more easy for you to come home and learn Moon River and do the arrangement that you did because of the... And I realize that Moon River is kind of a, a standard, mm-hmm. but the point being, if someone was someone who just shreds, mm-hmm. it'd be very tough. Right, or I would yeah. say it'd be tougher. Mm-hmm. So was it a little easier for you to oh, come home? it was home and, totally easy because... You know, in my in my twenties, I really immersed myself in jazz, and I would learn every song five ways. I would learn the melody mm. in all registers. I would learn a little mini chord melody on it, so I could play it with bass and drums, and piano maybe, or just bass and drums. I would learn a big solo chord arrangement on it, so I could when dad when your dad says, "Son, play me something," <laughs> you know, and you say, "Okay, here's Moon River." I could play it right. And then I would learn how to solo on it and improvise on it. And then I would try to learn it in a second key. Like if there's a, 
um, uh, obvious female vocalist key, I would try to learn it in that key too. Mm. And I learned, you know, hundred uh, over 150 songs that way. Wow! And wow. Uh, then one day I'm driving in my car, this jazz guy, and I'm listening to the radio, and I know exactly the street corner I was on. It was Laurel Canyon and Riverside Drive, and this Eagle song comes on the radio, and uh, right at about the time, you know, I was getting some. To, I guess I got to a signal, and uh, this Joe Walsh solo came on. And it was so powerful and so great. It's a song called Those Shoes by the Eagles. I think it's on the Long Run album. And he just plays this killer Joe Walsh solo, as he always does. He's one of my favorites. And I literally pulled the car over and went, man, the state of rock and roll guitar has come so far since I sort of signed off and immersed myself in jazz. Because, you know, at the time when I did that, I was a good player i thought i could play stairway to heaven and i could play crossroads solo by eric clapton and i thought that bands like boston and um well not them uh aerosmith and stuff you know it was just sort of easy garage rock and roll that i could easily do so jazz was this challenge like oh my god there's so many chord voicings and so much harmony i don't know a thing about so but at that moment the clouds opened up and a voice said to me you must learn everything you dig, <laughs> whether it's blues or country or Chet Atkins style or fusion mm. or, uh, you know, just every different style of music that I dug. Because, I mean, I love it all, you know. I like, I like trying to play like Joe Pass, sure, but Wes Montgomery. But I also like to play like um, Dwayne Allman, you know what wow. I mean? So, yeah, yeah. So... Uh, forgive me, there there was a moment when we were talking about the CDs before when you started to say, in August, I'm going to. On your website, it shows that you have quite the European tour planned in the mm-hmm. fall. And it isn't all up there yet because they're still moving dates around. Yeah. Yeah, pl- please tell the audience more about that. But was that something that was postponed because of COVID? Was it something that you're just planning recently? And, and, and where are some of the places that you'll well, be Well, I try performing? to play Europe every year, and mm-hmm. I usually do four or five weeks there. And last year, my regular bass player couldn't do it due to some health issues and covid mm-hmm. so i got alfonso johnson who's one of the great bass players of all time played with weather report and santana and uh i'm a huge fan of his and i got my old buddy chad wackerman to do it so we were this power trio and we played five weeks of sold out shows uh because i hadn't toured in 2020 for the first time mm-hmm. in many years mm-hmm. So we did some Scandinavia, some Germany, Austria, Switzerland, uh, Belgium, France, and maybe a little Italy, one one show in Italy. So I did that last October, and then in April I did two and a half weeks in Italy. Two months ago? Yeah, yeah, just two months ago. And then my usual time to go over there is usually October, November. So I'm doing it again this year. So who will be on that tour? That's going to be the... the number one CVB band, which is Dave Murata on bass, John Mater, and the new guy, Troy Dexter. And so what's cool is that show will be very tight, rehearsed, background vocals, you know. And uh, what I've been also trying to do is get this, get these guys to know 50 songs so I could have multiple set lists. Tonight we're going to play set list B, or tonight we're going to substitute Keningi for Highland Shuffle, or we're going to, you know, substitute because you can 
You can do that. The thing about Europe is that the distances between shows are sometimes just three hours, right? Mm-hmm. So you get that kind of Grateful Dead um, fan base mm. that will come to multiple shows. And then they talk about it. Wow, last night he played Place for Me. I haven't heard that since 2006. You know, they get that going. Yeah. So the buzz factor starts happening there. Forgive my ignorance. Is there any Super Tramp in the set, or is it 100%? It can be. Um, we, we were doing Bloody Well Right quite a bit. Nice. And then we sort of let that one go for a while. But as of this last weekend, we put it back in. So wow. it'll be in there. Wow. It was fun. It no was, doubt, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, I have <laughs> a, a version song. on one of my records with slide guitar, ah. so it's very different. Uh, it's more swampy, and uh, but wow. Rick, but the composer Rick Davies and the singer loves it. He loves my version, so. and thus the statement before about it's a demo version. And it's too bad because all of a sudden you work this song out a little bit on the road. You go, man, the slide guitar sounds great. I wish we would have done yeah. it that way on the record. Yeah, yeah. Wow, wow. Yeah. So I, I I came up with a slide version of it that. You know, and it's kind of acoustic, but then there's electric, and yeah, it's fun. It's a fun, fun track. You have taught workshops and clinics all over the world while on tour, including master classes. I got to take a big breath for this audience. This list is going to blow you away. Master classes at the University of Southern California, Musicians Institute, Los Angeles College of Music, Berkeley College of Music, Duquesne University. MAI in France. I'm running out of breath. Many more schools in the UK, Italy, Germany. And there's a quote on your website. It says, Today, guitarists have a wealth of material to learn from online. The sheer quantity of material online can be overwhelming, not to mention the fact that it is often wrong or misleading. People from around the world always ask me how I learned, so I decided to create the CV Academy to show you my approach to mastering the guitar, end quote. So tell the audience what they can expect from becoming a member of hmm. the CV Academy. Well, I think there's like 275 videos, and a bunch of them are what I learned from, which is really cool. And I'll say what I learned from Eric Clapton, or what I learned from Dickie Betts, or what I learned from Chet Atkins, or Albert Lee, or and you know, and there's dozens of those because if I I was doing all these master classes in Italy. I would I would uh, go and do entire clinic tours and then maybe a guitar camp. And sometimes I'd go to the same place two years in a row. So I needed to come up with like another whole thing, right? Another whole program. Because I don't really have a program. I just start talking and start playing and then get people ask questions and you're rolling. But I decided to come up with something called um, artistic signatures, which means... You take a guy like um, Dickie Betts from the Allman Brothers, and I would try to distill like what I really learned from that guy. Like, what about that guy do I want to hear, and what do I do that he does that he taught me? And you know, there's like thirty or forty. Well, actually, the list is two pages long, and it goes all mm. the way. It starts with Roger McGuinn of the Birds and and George Harrison. And it kind of ends like, um, I think the last guy on the list is Derek Trucks, who's an amazing slide guitar player that I love. And, you know, all the names in between, you know, from Jeff Beck and Jimmy Page to uh, uh, all these country guys. And um, so I decided to put that on film, you know, on my CV Academy. But then there's all kinds of other things like just, you know, how do I use the diminished scale over a dominant chord, you know, and different voicings here's a whole concept of voicings that's different than guitar do players use it's more of a piano approach and uh, hmm. 
So it gets kind of deep, you know. Um, people join, and the, the advanced players tend to stick with it for a long time. The younger, uh, just starting off, and, and maybe almost to intermediate people are going, okay, this is over my head, and they bail. You know, they'll stay on it for three months and go, yeah, I can't really use this yet. <laughs> I'm still trying to figure out how to play, uh, you know, C to G. <laughs> so. Well, there's a video tab on your website, and, and while the expectation is that there would be videos of you playing you know, on tour, music videos, etc., instead they are teaching videos like how to get a classic blues guitar tone or improvising an E7 groove in the studio. Huh. These seem to be videos that you could easily charge for or put in your masterclass. So what is your thinking behind offering up these free nuggets? I don't know. I think it's. Uh, I think if you give people a little free stuff, they go, I want to learn more from this guy, and, and they'll fire that up. I also do something on Instagram every month called Tip of the Month, Tip or Trick of the Month. Where I just give a little bit of a you know musical idea for guitar players to maybe expand on, and uh, I think that's kind of cool, you know, to, to to just throw a little bit of meat out there. <laughs> well, it is said that you have played the guitar every day since 1965. Yeah, that's true. Every day, pretty much. I mean, if I take five days off in a year, it's because they were travel days. <laughs> wow. So, as a matter wow. of fact, I have I've got to play in Bakersfield on. Thursday night with the band and our opening act is Joe Robinson and he's a wonderful acoustic fingerstyle guy so what I want to do is get Joe to come back on stage with us later with like a telecaster and play some play some stuff now we're at the Buck Owens Crystal Palace which is a 600 seater in downtown Bakersfield so thinking ahead to who the audience is and Joe who's a great country player you know I'm thinking yeah, I'm going to practice some country tunes and throw it out to Joe. You want to play on this one, this one, this one, maybe a Cajun thing. Um, a Rod- I know Joe played with Rodney Crowell, and I know a few Rodney tunes. We could do one of those. So that's Thursday. Friday I fly to Dallas, and Saturday night I do a solo acoustic gig of my own with no mm. band. So after you guys leave today, I'm going to practice this set list. And wow. um, get make sure I got all that acoustic stuff up and running. <laughs> so there's two ways to practice. I mean, there's multiple ways. One of my ways is, you know, my motto is, I will not suck. So <laughs> what's the next performance? Let's get that totally wired, get it totally down. I want to blow everybody away, right? So this week, two different performances, probably a total of, um, you know, maybe 40 songs I have to, you know, be really wired up on. Mm. So then after that, two weeks after that, I'm going to play these these shows with Stuart Copeland of The Police. Wow. He's got something called Police Deranged for Orchestra, and I've been hired to be the guitar player. And it's not just the police songs, it's the police songs completely... Rearranged, three vocalists, guitar, bass, drums, and um, the, the the orchestra. Mm. So we're going to play with the Salt Lake City Symphony Orchestra on. Uh, it's like June thirtieth or something like that. So I got to practice Very that cool. stuff, you know. Very cool. So that's one way of of spending your your practice hours is looking ahead at the next concert. I love that you're talking about practice though. I mean, for the audience, I mean, this is someone that you've heard his resume and you would think he doesn't have to practice. He just gets a call, goes and plays a show, plays his own music. And here you are talking about the importance of practice and the fact that you're still 
practicing what you mm-hmm. preach mm-hmm. by practicing your music yeah. as regularly as you do. But there's another way I practice too, and that is there's a sort of a free practicing where I just start playing lines and here I'm going up, ascending the neck in the key of B major, and then I hit a hit an F sharp and go down a half step to F and play down in F minor and then hit a, a C and go up in A minor and then go down in D major. You know, in other wow. words, the kind of practicing that's just free. And if I come across anything that is uniquely my own and really truly sounds like me, I write it down. Mm. And I keep uh, I keep a lick book. And uh, you can see here's a handful of them right here. Here's, wow. here's the current one right here that uh yeah, very know, close at hand. Yeah, yeah. So I'm 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 always I'm always trying to write my ideas down so I have something to go back and practice. This is me, this is the sound of this mm-hmm. is my style and my thing. And uh sometimes I simply say, you know, I played a show last night and I had a long solo in F sharp minor and I really kind of ran out of ideas. I was bored with myself. Mm. I need some lines in F sharp that's down on the start in the low oh, part of the I like guitar that. and go all I the like way up that. to the high part. And I'll just work on those until I come across something new, unique, exciting, practice it, transpose it into other keys. You know, years ago I was reading this article with Chick Korea where he said the best of us are only truly improvising 30% of the time. The other 70% we are stringing together lines and ideas that we've worked out. And that changed my life. That was like in the 78 or something when I heard that. And I said, cool. wow, Chikoria never repeats himself. He can go and go and go in any key. And it's just beautiful idea after idea. I need to start putting some money in the bank that I can draw on when I see a you know, B-flat-7 chord. You know? So that's been my mentality. I've been a, so cool. I've been a you know, practicer, and, and you're kind of composing your lines the way you want to hear B flat seven sound. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. So you and I connected because of Nam. We didn't see each other there, but you actually played mm-hmm. with your band. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we played on the Yamaha stage, which is really the biggest showcase you can do at Nam. It's out there between the two hotels, the Marriott and the Hilton, and it's a big, you know, concert size stage with a massive PA and three screens, and uh, yeah. I was ugly. I looked at, turned around and looked at my screen of my picture. And I go, God, I need to lose a couple more pounds, and this is not. This shirt is not working. It's so funny for the audience members who are going. I wonder what those guys are thinking about when they're up there. Yeah. Well, <laughs> Carl's thinking yeah. about his shirt. <laughs> yeah, the purple shirt is really not working with the blue guitar. I really should have thought that through. Was that your first time playing Nam? Do you usually just go to look around, or, or well, have you played, I played it before? It, I, I did that same stage uh, the last. Big Nam show, which is probably 2019. I did the same stage. I'm amazed okay. they asked me to come back t- three years later. But he probably had a better uh, shirt on then. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> probably looked better. Yeah, younger. So no, I've done a few things at Nam over the years. The first time I ever went to Nam, Tom Schultz of Boston called Guitar Center in Hollywood and said, "We need a young kid to come out and play to demonstrate this new product called the Rock Man," and they called me. 1983, and wow. I did it, wow. and it was funny. And then I did it the next year too, in '84. And that from then on, I just kept going to Nam every year for some reason. <laughs> you talked before about the tour that the Carl Verheyen Band will do in the fall. Super Tramp canceled the 2015 tour due to Rick Davies' health issues. He has since said that he's doing better and that he plays here and there. 
any chance, any rumors of a farewell Super Tramp reunion tour, whatever you want to call it? Well, every time I talk to him about it, he just doesn't quite feel that he has the energy, you know, because these are like tours with 10 semi-trucks and a huge crew and a private jet for the band. As cushy as it can get, but still, I think for Rick, it's just a lot of energy and planning. I would love it if he would think about maybe doing a residency somewhere. But he's kind of an anti-Vegas guy. He mm. doesn't really like Vegas so much. You know, he thinks it's sort of a graveyard for <laughs> dying musicians. But, I mean, I, Elton John plays there. And, you know, I mean, he Santana was doing a residency. I think it would be great. Yeah, Aerosmith. Yeah. Hmm. Plus, I could fly home for, for sessions. <laughs> <laughs> Always with the business hat on. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, thinking like, God, what about how, you know, because it's no fun for me staying in Vegas. I come to take money out, not to gamble. <laughs> and if you, if you sit down at a blackjack table, like, you know, one of those $100 tables, and you put 100 bucks down, it's gone within a minute. And I'm going, God, I could have enjoyed a really great bottle of wine for three hours yeah. you know, with, with yeah. my wife or something. So it doesn't appeal. We're going to close today with another one of Carl's original songs, one called Sundial. Carl, before I let you go and I play that track, share with the audience all about this one, if you would, please. Hmm. It's definitely a quirky song, and uh, it started off as an instrumental, and uh, I, 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 my wife would kill me if she hears this podcast, but she doesn't have a minute hand. Right. In other words, if you say we're leaving at noon, we're going to leave at 1230, 1220. So you have to say we're leaving at 1130 because then you'll leave at four minutes to noon. You know? <laughs> so uh, the song is inspired by, I mean, I've, I've been married 40 years, so, you know, it's, mm. it's, it's not a real problem, really. <laughs> but it's definitely a, a thing that's taught me some patience and, uh, you know, I'm crazy about her, love her madly. But... Um, yeah, it's like, it. what is time after all? It's just a shadow on a sundial, you know? It's like me coming to terms with it. And uh, anyway, so, you know, I had one reviewer call it folk rock, which really surprised me because it's got somewhat sophisticated changes in it. And uh, it all started with this little acoustic guitar riff, and then it builds to a big electric guitar solo. But when you're listening to it, the most inspiring thing, I went to Criteria Studios down in Miami, right, which is a famous, mm. famous studio for like um, Hotel California, all that BG stuff. Um, even I think Papa's Got a Brand New Bag was done there. And Layla was re- recorded there by mm. Derek and the Dominoes. So I, I always wanted to go there. I know two great background singers in Florida. I said, I'm going to fly down and record you guys there. And I did. And I. I'm a guy who writes out the parts so that you you know you don't spend all day in the studio hour after hour going, "Well, why don't you try a G sharp?" you know. So I had it written down so I said, "Okay, at the very end, I want you guys to sing ooh right up until the third time and then sing ah." And so if you listen to the ending right, you know, as as I'm doing the chorus over and over again, the oohs become ahs and it just gives me the chills to this day how wow. great they sound on it. Wow. So it makes the whole album for me. <laughs> That's so cool. That's so. so cool. 
This has been fantastic, Carl. Thank you. First of all, congratulations on 40 years of marriage. That is outstanding. <laughs> Especially and, in the rock and roll business. And then congratulations on all your success. I really appreciate your time. and Thank you for being on Now Here, This Entertainment. Thank you, Bruce. It's been fun. My pleasure. My right. pleasure. With that, I will wrap up another new episode of Now Here, This Entertainment. My sincere thanks to guitarist, musician, producer, educator, Carl Verheyen, do be sure to visit his official website at carlverheyen.com. And again, I will put a link to it on the show page for this episode at nhte.net. Do be sure to follow him on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Stream his music on SoundCloud and Spotify and watch his videos on YouTube. Better yet, show your support for Carl by purchasing his music from his website and signing up for his CV Academy. That's going to do it for episode 442. Thanks ever so much for listening. I'll send you out today with another song by Carl Verheyen. This is the one he just talked about. It's called Sundial. Afternoon as it ticks away Sundial shadows fade to gray Running late but she hesitate Cause she got no reason to rhyme You might think it's a crime The sun is setting sublime Just a shadow A shadow on a sundial And in a while She'll be there She'll be there And it's hard to say Sundial shadows fade away Look outside And she's justified Can you trust the shadows As they fall When there's no clock on the wall What is time after all just a shadow, just a shadow on a sundial And in a while, she'll be there, she'll be there Yeah.
like it's a shame But she's never too late It's just a shadow A shadow on a sundown And in a while We're gonna see 